You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's going to be Toronto and the Lakers on the final. You heard it! Carter comes up shooting. Alrighty, we are back, finally. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, COVID has definitely put a hit on the podcast, but we are finally back to discuss basketball with a brand new name. We are going with 95 to infinity, no longer Toronto Sport Matters. Uh, I think basically the main reason why I think we all decided to change the name was um, obviously the, the social issues that are arising across the world, specifically in America. Um, and just to clarify, you know, all three of us are huge supporters of the Black Lives Matter movement. We just kind of felt like as a group that, you know, the name that we had more or less kind of diluted the true essence of what the movement means. Um, Greg, is there anything else you kind of want to throw in here about the name change? It's in solidarity, right? We, we, we recognize that we're in a critical uh, social moment today in North American society. And, um, you know, this is something that we decided to do uh, in solidarity uh, with with the Black Lives Matter movement. Absolutely. I mean, racial quality is something that I know. I mean, Greg, you're obviously a Ph.D. in, in social issues and, and we're, we're all very aware of the movement and we're very we all watch the NBA. We all see players kneeling in solidarity, not to use that word again, but but not just to piggyback off them, but it's something that we all three of us truly do believe in as well. Um, you've seen it on all of our social media um, throughout the time um, since basically the last time you heard us. So we, we've been big supporters of everything. And with the name change, we hope that um, that this keeps our Raptors legacy alive, but at the same time uh, moves us forward. Perfect. Uh, and with that, let's kind of kind of ties into the first quarter. Um, obviously basketball is back. We're living in the basketball bubble more or less. And one thing that's kind of hitting the league right now is, you know, we just talked about the black lives movement, um, you know, specifically kneeling for the protests, just sort of social awareness, unification as one toward these atrocities that are happening predominantly in the States. Uh, what are your guys feeling about this? You know, there was a lot of uproar initially when Colin Kaepernick took the knee to, you know, oppose police brutality, you know, a few years ago. And now everyone seems it seems to be more uh, socially tolerated. Uh, what's your perspective of this gesture, Greg? And uh, what what, what yeah. sort of uh, additional um, signs of commitment to the Black Lives Matter movement can the league do to uh, sh- show more uni- unity? Well, 
Okay, I'll I'll address the first part of that question, and then hope maybe we can speak on the second part, uh, which I also have a lot to say about uh, at another time. But you know, just to come outright and say, you know, anybody that that knows me uh, has had to hear me with my background in criminology um, speak for years about the problems with the criminal justice system, not just in America but in North America. Uh, particularly in regards to the policing of marginalized communities, the over-policing of marginalized communities. And in the case of the U.S., police brutality specifically uh, uh, regarding the killing of unarmed black men, right? Like, see, I mean, let's, let's see that in the news every day, right? Yeah, and, you know, uh, I, I think it's important not to uh, scapegoat the police officers who often are responding to difficult situations and who can only do what they've been trained to do um, and understanding that this is a larger systemic issue that also has to deal with um, American class inequality. Um, but specifically, right, when we talk about, though, Brian, and just to get to your, to your point here, you know, when Nick Nurse says, you know, I'm going to kneel um, for the Canadian anthem and I'm going to treat it like it's one long song. You know, I think that there's a lot of people and I've spoken to people about this. When they hear that, they're taken back by it because, you know, a lot of Canadians, we form our uh, national identity often uh, in opposition, in opposition to America. OK. And what we perceive to be the problems in that society. Um, but the reality is, uh, especially in regards to police encounters um, with uh, especially young men of color uh, and particularly uh, indigenous uh, and First Nations people in, in, in Canada, there's a lot of evidence that there's that there is systemic racism uh, within our own criminal justice apparatus. Um, so while I don't necessarily agree that, you know, we... I don't necessarily uh, uh, agree that when Nick Nurse says, you know, it's one long song and that these are essentially like comparing apples and apples. Like, I don't think that's 100 percent correct. On the other hand, when when you listen to them being interviewed and they talk about, you know, understanding that that these are issues that also take uh, are going on in Canada. And it's just generally about issues of race that they want to stand in solidarity with some Canadian players like Chris Boucher, who as a migrant, a racialized migrant, uh, has his own experiences in Canada that are, that are going to differ from perhaps, um, you know, a white kid that grew up playing hockey in Etobicoke, <laughs> you know? So, uh, although I am, um, I take it, I, I, I do take issue with comparing it apples to apples. There, there are definitely issues that I'm happy that and I'm proud that the Raptors have had the, the guts to stand up stand up for in the bubble. And it made it better when LeBron James was uh, singing our national anthem. So it shows a little bit of uh, support there. Alrighty, going to the kind of second aspect of the bubble, uh, we're talking about quarantine players, COVID testing, and we're also talking about the newly established seating format. Um, basically, there was a few games left in regular season and the NBA, uh, how many games was it? Eight? Eight games, eight seeding eight games. games. Eight games played, yeah. And each individual, more or less, the team's kind of on the fringes, got an opportunity to potentially get back into the playoff picture. Maybe some teams did not deserve to be in that situation, namely the Washington Wizards, but I digress. Um, what is your perspective of this new seeding format? Obviously, we look at the Raptors' schedule and kind of when we write it, it didn't really seem like a fair 
sort of uh, balancing of schedule, it seemed like we got the harder slate. Um, what's your perspective of this? And what do you view uh, uh, the playoffs in general? Well, okay, so just to bring it back a second, because I think what the NBA done is great. I mean, they were the model of sort of everything when everything got shut down, right? When Rudy Gobert was the first one to get, was the first one to test positive. They were the first league to shut down. Um, Now they're really the league that's the model for everything to come back. And I know that there was a lot of indecision on even if the bubble should happen or not. People were saying COVID is rampant in Florida, which obviously it is. They they were worried for the players. Obviously they can't be with their families a lot of the time as well. So I think what they've done just in general with the bubble itself has been amazing. I think it's been phenomenal. And to translate that onto the product on the court as well, from what I've seen on television and the level of play they had, I mean, the Raptors were playing hard even in scrimmages. So, I mean, obviously the players are taking this seriously. It's more like, like they said before, like an AAU summer camp vibe. Most players are taking it seriously. Let's uh, not forget Lou Williams' strip club chicken wing fiasco. Chicken wing Lou! Sweet chicken wing Lou! Kawhi probably... uh, Questioning his decision to leave when his teammates are doing that, eh? But um, but I think honestly the product has been the products have been great, especially when you counter it with the other leagues like baseball and how they've had to shut down because they didn't want to do a bubble. Um, I think the play-in tournament is a good idea. You're right. Some teams like Washington, maybe even Phoenix, didn't deserve to be in. But then look what Phoenix has done so far since they've been in the bubble. Right? They've gone three and zero. So um, I know it's different, obviously, with the summer league sort of format. But I I'm. Very excited for the playoffs. Very excited for the Raptors specifically in the playoffs. And I think that this is absolutely like people were talking before Shaq said there's going to be an asterisk on this season. I think if you look at other leagues, like even the NHL, how they went straight to this playoff series thing where the Leafs are facing the Blue Jackets and it's a five game series. It's not the same. Like it really isn't. At least in basketball, they tried to have a regular season to get the players sort of back into it. And now they're going to go into playoff mode. I think basketball's done it the best, to be perfectly honest with you. And Brandon, just to build off what what Graf is saying here, you know, Graf, uh, if I'm being perfectly honest, I like it better. I like it better. I love that I don't have to see, um, you know, these, these... uh, rich celebrity wannabes in the first row snapping selfies of themselves. Uh, there's more space on the court for the players. The camera angles, the camera angles are amazing. You get a sense yeah. of like the actual uh, size of the of the players. You can hear what's going it's on. Because, you know why? It's because it's a courtside view. It's the view, the one camera that's the best one is the one that's the view of a front row in the courtside. <laughs> Which we, uh, yeah, which is my, like, we can't, we wouldn't get that if there was fans there. Um, the, the only, I mean, there's, there's two things. There's no money if you don't have fans. And then we couldn't go yeah. to the game and sit in the 300s and cheer the Raptors on if we couldn't no, go to that, the game. And look, there's, I'm just saying from a viewing perspective at home, right? Actually, I believe that my viewing experience uh, is actually better than, than it was when there were fans uh, in the stand because of, of what we're talking about. Also, I really like how, the teams themselves um, almost like uh, a college level game or even like what you see in like American football when the players are kind of up on the sidelines. Yep, I yep. Really like how players are into it and you can hear it. Right. 
it's a, yep. it's a lot better than baseball. You know, when you see like a line drive and the camera pans to the baseball and all you see is just vacant seats of a 60,000 seat stadium. <laughs> uh, so, so just going in the second quarter, this kind of ties into what we were discussing earlier. The Toronto Raptors are obviously playing in the play in series right now or not play in series, but the, uh, I don't know how you would call it the eight game prior to the regular season series. We'll call it, um, Basically, the Raptors have not missed a beat uh, during COVID. 2-0, and uh, impressive victory over the Lakers, who many, many kind of pin as a consensus number one team in the NBA. Alternatively, we also beat the Miami Heat the other night. So what is your impression of this organization? What is our ceiling? You know, you have guys like Kendrick Perkins talking about us being, you know, incredibly overlooked and potentially the scariest team in the NBA right now. Are we getting overlooked as an organization? And do you think we have a legitimate chance of repeating as an NBA yeah. champion? And, 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 you know, Brand, it's a great question. And I know we're going to get into a little bit of the American media bias uh, in the fourth quarter when I gripe. And that's what I'm going to bring it back to my, uh, my friend, Big Perk, right? But he, he, you're exactly four and four, right? <laughs> look, look, you know, in my to my estimation, right now we're the best team in the bubble in terms of of our two performances. We even look great in the scrimmage games. I watched all of them. The one team that beat us was Phoenix because I felt like they brought a whole ton of energy, and we looked past that game, looking forward to the LA game. I will say, and I spoke about this with Grab. You know, the level of intensity that L.A. played with against the Clippers was not the same that they brought against us. That being said, you can only play who's on front of you, and we didn't just beat the Lakers. We handedly beat them. Um, let you know. And before going on to the Miami game, I think that performance by Kyle Lowry was an all-time great performance by him. One, one of the ones that when he's retired, we're going to look back on and say that was one of his greatest performances. He was the, he was the best player on the court. He gave it to you as a score, uh, as a rebounder. He had 14 rebounds as an assist man. He was drawing charges and fouls here and there. I think, right. Yep. Cause we've talked about this. Kyle Lowry, I think struggles with expectations of a home crowd. That's why he plays so much better on the road. Remember in game six in, 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 uh, at Oracle, he dropped all those threes. Like, that's road Kyle Lowry. He looks to me like road Kyle Lowry. And if that's the case, right, the NBA's in trouble, man, because he is looking loose. And just to quickly wrap up on the Miami game, I was happy to see um, that we tried something new on defending Bam Adebayo by putting uh, Ananobi on him. Ananobi uh, really bothered him, gave him fits. Uh, Siakam had a good game, but Fred Van Vliet, oh my God. What, yeah, what can you say about an undrafted 5'11 stubby arm guard that puts up 30-36 on one of these yeah, best dude. defenses? Career, career high there too. Um, I mean, I've been I've been harping for Fred Van Vliet. He's definitely my favorite player. Um, he's looking like I, a, a twenty million dollar man right now, though, guys. <laughs> he he's <laughs> playing like Even a math player out. almost. Sorry, I was going to say he's playing like a max player uh, almost yeah. there. But um, look, Ky- Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, they obviously had two good games. But you mentioned it, Greg. OG. OG, OG in the first game against the Lakers, guarding LeBron. Just his defense alone you could look at. But the fact that he's evolved now into a 3 and D wing, that's really, really reliable. Um, his handle. His handle. I- he's just so quick too. So, and strong. So I think we, we didn't have him in the playoffs last year. The casual fans who don't watch the Raptors 
don't know much about OG Ananobi. This year, they're going to find out as long as he stays healthy. And Gra- Grab, it's not just the casual fans, you know. I was watching the Lakers post game with, uh, and, and you can go look this up yourself. I think it's James Worthy, the all-time Lakers great. He called Ananobi mm-hmm. Adobe. He's like, he's like, oh, that Adobe, you know, he really showed up today, right? Like, people just don't understand that. Oh, wait, we got a guy actually out there that's uh that should be like first team all defense if not this year next year that is almost as good of a defender as Kawhi Leonard right they don't don't understand and if I could also add I think the Raptors did a really good job during the break of keeping their players fit right you see the transformation of Marcus Saul Kyle Lowry looks great uh Siakam looks like he's put on some muscle we know Chris uh Chris Boucher has put on some muscle I believe the Raptors handled the time off better than any other team because their players have all come back healthy, no COVID scares, uh, improved even improved. I, I, I hate to say this, but uh, the break favored the older players, right? A hundred percent. So the, you look at the Raptors best players or our top players with a ball, like, you know, the leaders of the team with Lowry, Ibaka, Gasol, they're all, you know, they're all up there. So this break just made, it was so good for them. And I think the young guys like Van Vliet and Siakam, they just continued to work out the whole time. You're, you're right. I think the Raptors, I mean, they look the best and the ceiling of this team to me, I would not be surprised if they made it back to the NBA finals at all. Yeah. I'm yeah. And just to build off that, um, you know, to start the year when we first played Milwaukee, I didn't, I didn't see a path for us beating them. Um, Mind you, we didn't have a full team the first time we played them, but Milwaukee just looked so much stronger. I I no longer believe that. I think the Raptors have a great chance to get back to the finals uh, and be competitive against whoever we play. We would be the the underdog, rightfully so. I think against Milwaukee, maybe we're slight underdogs, but you cannot put it past us to beat that team, even without Kawhi this year. If we beat Milwaukee, we can beat anyone. Those LA teams, those LA teams are going to be tough. Like right, going in the third quarter, talking about Milwaukee, talking about the upper echelon, the NBA. We got the Lakers, we got the Clippers, we got the consensus favorites. There's also teams I wouldn't say on the bubble, but in the second, third category, teams that um, you know you're not quite sure at this point if they're actual real contenders or pretenders. So I'm going to drop a couple names. I know uh, we put down four teams. I'm going to throw a fifth in the basket as well. And basically, we're having a discussion to discern if they're going having a legitimate shot at winning the NBA championship. So we're going to start it off with the Houston Rockets, who obviously made a massive, massive structural move prior to COVID, bringing in Robert Covington, flipping Capella to the Hawks, and really emphasizing that small ball, Barrymore style of play. Guys, what is your impression of the Houston Rockets? And do you see them legitimately being able to beat... Uh, you know, the Lakers or either L.A. team. You know, James Harden, by the way, looked fantastic on defense a couple of days ago. Just throwing that out there on Giannis. <laughs> Raph, Greg, do you want to take that? No, look, I know you want to go in on this with, with the Rockets, but I'm just going to I'm just going to say this. They, they're, they could beat anyone if it was a one-game series, like the Super Bowl. They, they could beat anyone. But in a seven-game series, they just haven't been able to prove it. And I don't think the addition of, of Russell Westbrook – Look, I feel so sorry for PJ Tucker having to go out there and like, what, what happens if they face the Lakers? Well, what happens if they face the Lakers? Well, what are they going to do? They're so tall, they're so big. No one's going to be able to stop Davis. I mean, you're also you also talking about Eric Gordon being out as well, integral part of their bench. He'll be back though. I just yeah. don't. I, I've never been a believer in this Houston style of statistical basketball. To be perfectly honest, so I know so they're pretenders. I, I don't, they're pretenders. 
Yeah. It, okay. So uh, I I agree, Graf. For the I really actually think you made a good point there in saying you know this team in one game can, can they have the firepower to beat anybody? Um, and, but the question is, can you do it four times? Right. Uh, and you know we we went through this last year how frustrated we were watching the the uh, Rockets just melt down against the Warriors because of their style of play, right? Um, and now they've gotten even weirder because you're right. Like, I just can't see how P.J. Tucker is going to even bother Anthony David. Um, it would be a I, – I would really love to see Houston beat one of those L.A. teams because I just would like to see them beat L.A. Uh, but it, it would probably be a surprise still if that happened. Uh, this is I see this if if the Rockets don't get to the finals, there's going to be big changes made in Houston, starting with the coach and the style that they play. It's basically like watching guys just chuck up threes. Like the question is, when the game matters, are do you really want like the game resting on a step back three pointer? Can that right? Can you win games that way? I don't know. I mean, uh, when it's James Harden taking it, you're forty five percent likely to win. <laughs> but it's not just him, right? It's like so much of their offense comes by the three. I think, look, what they have going for them this year is that they have a second MVP level player in Russell Westbrook. Like those guys want it more, I think, than other stars may want it because they've never been there and they want that right. Or they've been to the finals, but it was years ago under Durant. These guys are searching for some affirmation Um and they want to get this monkey off their back. I think they want it very badly. So don't be surprised if we see Houston in the Western Conference Finals again. All right. So you're calling them what? I think they're a contender. So we got okay. Houston Rockets. We got we're divided. We got Graf Pretender, Graf and Musum. I'm sorry, Greg Musum as a contender. Though I do agree with him. I, <laughs> like I, I, I'm with Graf. I just don't think they have enough physicality in low post to handle even the Clippers, the guy like Avaka Zubash. They just don't have anyone physical enough to play in the low post. And, you know, you're talking about the Lakers. Uh, that's a four or five game series. There's no way Houston can realistically take out uh, the Lakers in a seven game series. But, but, but Brandon, who guards Russell Westbrook? You see how Lowry went off the other night? Because the Lakers don't have any guards right now. Right, like, who guards LeBron James? Like I just uh they like, have he, Daniel House, they have they have guys that they have excuse green me? excuse me? Excuse what me. Was they, that? they have bodies. They have bodies. They have they have they have, they have cadavers. They don't have bodies of <laughs> <guard> LeBron. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, let's go to the Nuggets. The Nuggets obviously uh I would view them as like the hipster NBA pick. Um, so you love them. Led by Nikolai Jochik, one of the most creative big men in the NBA. Um, you're also talking about a, a relatively solid backcourt, Jamal Murray and uh, Gary Harris Jr. Michael Porter Jr. looks like one of the biggest deals from a draft a couple of years ago. And you're also talking about Bull Bull. I'm not quite sure he's going to be part of the rotation, but looks like a really decent player, especially in the sort of the uh, uh, the scr- scrimmage games prior to the start of the uh the eight-game series. Um, what is your view on the Nuggets? A lot of people are really divided on this team. Are they contenders or are they pretenders? Pretenders. I got pretenders just because I think they they need another year for Michael Porter Jr. to mature uh, because they need a they they need a wing scorer right now. They don't have enough of that. 
I, they maybe win a series, but I would even look for them to get upset in because they don't have that dangerous uh, home court anymore. Guys, Michael Porter Jr. I said it during the draft. He'll be the best player, and I stand by it. He's he will be the best player in that draft. He's he's coming around. If he stays injury free, I mean, you're right, Greg. He the pretenders in the sense. Green. I think he's still a bit young. He hasn't got his reps, but his talent yeah, is a hundred percent. Chicago Bulls shit the bed by taking Wendell Carter at eight. Eh? Oh, <laughs> uh, have I have, you, have I not mentioned that before? <laughs> Um, look, the, the, I, I love Denver. I love their team. You're right. They, they are the hipster team. Um, uh, you know, I think experts, they're kind of like the Raptors of the West. Like that's the team to pick as an underdog of anyone. Um, I love Jokic, but against LA teams, cause honestly, let's be real. They, they finished third. They're going to beat OKC in my mind. They beat them the other night. It was a good game, but I think they're going to beat them in a series when it gets the next series against either the Clippers it's going to be the Clippers probably. It's going to be so tough. Like, I, I just don't see them being able to beat them in a seven-game series. Uh, again, I'm, I'm just looking strictly at the playoffs, but the, the Clippers scare me in the sense that they look like they've gelled a little bit more than other teams have um, over this sort of regression, this COVID break. Um, they they were still figuring it all out, um, and they still are, to be honest with you. The loss to the Lakers, they didn't have Montrez or Lou, and it was still a close game. Um, the Clippers have looked really good, so... Again, in the sense that pretenders versus contenders would be making it to the finals and not, I, I would say that they're pretenders. With you on that one, buddy. All right, moving down the list, uh, we got Greg's favorite team in the NBA. We're talking about the mean green Boston Celtics. Um, Jason Tatum hasn't really got off the great start with the commencement of new basketball. We're also talking about an incredibly deep team, including guys like Jalen Brown, you know, Al Horford, and obviously Kemba Walker. Greg, do you see them as a realistic title contender? They do have a pretty deep team, and they do have a prototypical superstar, and they do have the complementary pieces. Do you think they can beat, you know, the L.A. teams or even Toronto or Milwaukee? No. Uh, right Hell now, no. I, think, I think the pecking order uh, in the East goes like this. It goes Milwaukee-Toronto. And then under that, you have another level with Boston and Miami. Look, like, I think, and, and Philly's in there too. Um, I think Boston yeah. probably, I think with, without a big man, and they're going to end up playing Philly in the first round, they might lose to Philly. Um, I think Boston is a year away from really being, I think next season, uh, with everybody healthy and the Tatum Brown taking another step, uh, I think they'll be the, the dangerous team that, that the American media thinks they are now. Watching them play their last few games, they have not looked very good. I think what this team seems to be missing is that defensive tenacity that they used to have. They, they haven't seen... I haven't seen it the last couple of games in, in the bubble. Uh, look, they're dangerous, but I don't look at them as, as, as contenders. To me, they're pretenders still. I agree fully. They're definitely pretenders. Um, I, I, I look at their roster and they should be better than what they are. So yeah. what was it? Two, two years ago, Brad Stevens was being talked about as coach of the year. I, I don't think the lack of a big man, cause I don't think Daniel Tice is that bad, honestly. Like he, he's very serviceable and especially with what they have around him with Brown and Hayward and Tatum and Kemba and yeah. you know, Kemba hasn't been healthy, but it's been all season long. Like they're, they're finishing third in the East. They're 44 and 23 right now. They just lost the heat. So they really don't have a chance to catch up. Without with the Jimmy Butler, without Jimmy Butler. 
They lost. Exactly. I mean, I personally, I mean, I watched a lot of their games and Bra- Jalen Brown to me is, is more of a, they, they need to give him the ball a lot more. I, I think Jalen Brown is, he was fantastic yeah. in the fourth quarter um, against the heat. Like he brought them back into the game. Um, Gordon Hayward though. Um, sometimes he looks good, but has he, has he fallen off? Like there's a big drop off there since he came to Boston. No, because he just doesn't even look like an all-star at all to me. Um, and then Jason Tatum, that first game, he went, well, look, it was like three for 20 or something. Couldn't buy a shot at the rim. Um, maybe it's just the jitters, but I, I, they're definitely pretenders. Like there's no chance this team is even close to the tier of Milwaukee, Toronto. And I'm going to put the heat above them as well. Um, perfectly. They're, they're down there with Philly in my, in my opinion, but they have the talent to be better. Like in theory, like they have three all-star level players. If you count Brown, I think the issue is that Kemba's not at full health. And the issue with Tice is like, what can he bring you on the offensive end, right? So they they can't, like his shooting and his ability to create his own offense really isn't there. So wow, not much love for uh, Ennis Cantor. Huh? And Cantor isn't a servant. Like if, if, if they play Cantor against us, we're going to run that 1-5 pick and roll to death. Right? Cantor can't really guard it very well. Uh, yeah, so He's only playing 15 minutes. Yeah, and look, the thing is with Tatum, like, his offense, like, he's a great-looking player, and there's a nice little debate between Kendrick Perkins and uh, Jalen Rose uh, and his co-host on that show that he does about Tatum versus Siakam. And look, here's the, but here's the difference, too. When Siakam has an off night, he's going to give it to you on the rebounding. He's going to give it to you in the energy. He's going to give it to you on the defense, right? When Tatum isn't scoring, what else is he doing for you? Right. I and that's the thing. Right? So this is what I, I worry about with the Celtics. Like they're, they're, they're not staying true to that defense first identity. Right. Yeah. All right. Moving down the list, we got uh, two more teams discussed. Well, we're going to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. You're talking about two all-star players and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. You're also talking about great complimentary pieces and guys like Al Horford, Josh Richardson, They've got a couple very good, versatile defenders and guys like Shake Milton and Mitese Thibel. So they are a relatively deep team, but you know, you're obviously not seeing their potential on the court uh, right now. Do you see this team being oust- ousted in the first round or like the Boston Celtics? Are they pretenders? What do you think, Brad? Um, the, there's no, I mean, if I think the Boston Celtics are pretenders, then the Philadelphia 76ers are are. But honestly, right now, I, I would put Indiana ahead of the 76ers in the East. I, I really don't wow. believe in them. I mean, there's so many well, reasons. Finally conceded a feat in the fact that Ben Simmons will never win you a championship. No, I don't think that. I mean, again, like Ben Simmons, I don't think is that much of the problem. Like they play him at the four, which is a good idea, in my opinion. Like it's finally... Uh, he needs the ball in his hands, but he's really, really, a really, like you said this about, um, about uh, Tatum. If he's not scoring on offense, what is he doing? Ben Simmons is one of the best defenders in the league. Like he is very, very serviceable. He guarded Kawhi all of last year in the playoffs and he did a really good job. Um, I don't believe in anyone other than, I guess, um, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And when Shake Middleton right now is your point guard, uh, I mean, all the problems to me stem from Brett Brown. Like, he's a terrible coach. We saw it last year. 
he makes terrible substitutions. He drove Jimmy Butler out of town. Um, I don't think the players really trust him that much. Uh, they got they got so lucky on that Shake Middleton Milton three the other day to win it. Like they're going to finish in sixth. I I think they're going to end up facing Boston and they're going to get knocked out pretty pretty like first round five games. So uh, I I agree with some of what you said. I. I don't necessarily think it's all Brett Brown's fault because he's got to coach the players that he has. And like, I I don't think, El, I think Elton Brand put too many power forwards on this team. Like they're, they're clear. There clearly isn't enough shooting, right? They, they, they let JJ Reddick go with Jimmy Butler. Those are your two best, you know, perimeter shooters last, last yeah, year. In the playoffs. Brown. Yeah. But like, I think Butler, you know, I think Butler was always going to kind of go right. Um, he wanted and to be subsequently his... throwing all that money at Tobias Harris, like you just said. You already have Al Horford from the fold, Andrew Will Embiid, and you're gonna pay Tobias Max money to play a three, realistically, as a four. Yeah, and um, I don't know, you know, and, and things don't seem right. You know, teams that are um, serious contenders at this point in the season, they're not having people. Uh, they're not having teammates hold each other back on, on the benches because they're throwing shade at each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it may be that Shake Milton overreacted when Embiid said that thing to him, but clearly you guys don't have a good enough relationship for you to be honest with each other, right? Or it just shouldn't have been said. But the point is then, like, there's issues internally with the group. And when you see that, uh, you know... Y- that shows that there's something deeply that there's something deeper wrong with the locker room. So if, and if a team isn't united, I, you know, it's hard to say that they can come out of something like this as the, as the victors, right. Uh, Philly's a team where the sum of their parts isn't as good, right. That's just it. I agree. I hate Philly. All right. And the last team I kind of wanted to uh, briefly bring up uh, as a pretender or a contender is the Portland Trailblazers. You got, you're talking about arguably the best backcourt in the NBA and CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. And they stumbled the season because they didn't have any interior presence. You're talking about the loss of Zach Collins and Yosef Nurture for the majority of the season. The band is back together. The team is healthy right now. And you're also talking about a lot of great depth, including guys like, you know, um, Gary Trent Jr., who's really emerging as a really solid three-point option. Mello. Uh, you still have Trevor Reza, Ronnie Hood. Uh, Ariza's not playing. Huh? Ariza's not playing. Ariza's not playing. But but, but, but we're also overlooking the re-emergence of basketball Jesus himself, Carmel Anthony, who looked absolutely fantastic last night, who also looks great in the Trailblazers' black. Do you think the Portland Trailblazers, with a healthy front court, could realistically beat any of the L.A. teams and make it to the NBA Finals, (laughs) considering they do have probably the most sufficient scoring guard tandem in the NBA? Uh, Graf, you want to take that? Uh, honestly, I'll be pretty quick. I I hate to say it, but I think they are contenders. Uh, I'm gonna if if there's one contender on here, and I know it's crazy. I put them over Denver, but you're right. The backcourt is scary. We saw what they could do last year when they you know they made it all the way to Golden State before they got swept. But ah, uh, you're right, man. Nurkic changes this entire team. So yes, I'm putting them as contenders. The, it's going to be tough. Obviously, they have to face LA probably twice to get there. But, hey, if there's a team that can do it, I think they can do it. Yeah, just to piggyback off that again, uh, I don't think they're contenders because first, first they got to qualify for the play-in. Then they got to beat Memphis Easy. in the play-in. 
Okay. Dumb. And then they got to go, then they got to go up against one of these LA teams. It's going to be the late. It would be the Lakers. Now that being said, I think they're actually better suited to beat uh, to upset the Lakers than they would be to upset the Clippers because the Lakers right now don't have point. They don't have the guards to contain Lillard and, um, CJ and CJ. So in that we'd, get see, we'd get to see mellow guard LeBron. That would be good. And yeah. And, and, and Brandon, you mentioned how great mellow looked, although he shot like four for 15, but still you're right. Seeing him. I actually love walking him. Boards. His effort level is higher. He battles for rebounds and he's enjoying playing basketball. Give me he's that much, shit. He's a humble, he's a much more humble Carmelo Anthony now in the way that he plays. So I, I can appreciate that. But to me, nah, they're still pretenders. I'm with Graf on this one. I, I view them as a realistic threat. In the Let's go. Conference. And I see a lot of depth and versatility in that team. And they finally got rid of the black hole. At, I shouldn't say it. The, uh, the, the, the worst center in the NBA in Hassan Whiteside, who uh, clearly uh, isn't even a serviceable NBA player at this point in his career. <laughs> no, no, he'd, be, he'd, be, he'd be really important against the Lakers, though. Yeah. Alrighty, so rolling down the fourth quarter, last segment of the day, Greg, I know we have a gripe about America's lack of respect for the team north of the border, the Toronto Raptors. You have a lot of NBA pendants not really predicting to go far in the playoffs, with the exception of Kendrick Perkins. Greg, I know we've talked about this ad nauseum in the past. Uh, what is happening? Why is this happening? And even though we've won a championship last year, why are we still not receiving respect? Down well... Look, this is Disney's bubble, right? This is Disney's magic kingdom. And we're all just kind of trying to live through it right now. Um, you know, Marv Albert was on the telecast the other day saying that the Raptors are the talk of the bubble, right? This is because we've beat the Lakers in the heat. We've beaten the Lakers now 11 straight times. We are the defending champ, right? For, for it to even be a storyline that like, Oh, we've forgotten about the Raptors. Ha ha ha. Like, it, it, it is disrespectful on a deeper level because you're talking about a team. Like, it's not only like we started playing good now, we were second in the East. Like, there were people that didn't even pick us to make the playoffs this year, right? Like, that, like they were on NBA TV, right? Uh, Sam Mitchell had us ranked eighth, okay? I was about to say, that's, Sam Mitchell. Yeah, but look, that's that was then. But to go Better through an fun. entire season... To go through an entire season and to see us above Boston, above Philly, but still you tune into these to these hot take shows, and because they want to get the LA markets, they want to get the Philly market, and the Boston market, and the New York market. All their talking points are 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 about that. And quite frankly, it's 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 gotten to the point where you can't, if you're a Raptors player, you cannot help but be motivated by that, right? I mean, you guys tell me, am I going nuts here? Because it doesn't seem like this has gotten better since we won the championship. Well, the one thing that I've noticed on on the Twitter sphere and the social media world is that um, there's actually a ton more Raptors content creators that, that I've noticed. Did you they're, say they're, they're, they're pop- sphere? The, the, the Twitter sphere, yeah. that's You're you know. really showing your age being a dad now. My God. Jesus, am I, am I really? Is that not a thing anymore? Oh, I thought he was pretty hip. I'm not cool. I'm not hip. I'm going to see you next time, old salt and pepper. Sorry, continue. Yeah, okay. No, no, no problem. I got to um, – so basically, I don't even know what I was talking about anymore. <laughs> well, we're kind of talking about the Toronto Raptors and, you know, obviously coming yeah. off an NBA championship. And now, you know, we're being overlooked by every single, you know, 
media conglomerate. And, you know, you think winning a championship would give us at least a little bit, a morsel of respect, but that's clearly not the case. this season. So, so basically in Canada, I think that it's given us a lot more respect in the sense that there are more people attached to the Raptors. Now more people see them as their team. It's more of a national team now because they won. So in the sense of, of Canadian media landscape, they're, they've taken a big step towards the Leafs of the world and, and, and even hockey in general. Now, in America, it's the exact opposite, like you said, Greg. Um, ESPN, I was watching when they faced the Lakers, had about 15 posts about the Lakers, and they lost that game. Uh, none for the Raptors. So it Raptors, just, Raptors, so you, sorry, just to, sorry to interrupt. You, you managed to watch the ESPN feed, right? It's, yeah, yeah, their Twitter. Like, they just they throw up highlights all the time during the okay. games. The actual... Uh, broadcast because I missed that because I, I it was blacked out right it was only uh, we same, could only same. see ones right yeah same because I I would really would like to watch that and see what they were saying then sorry go on no I I mean honestly they probably weren't saying shit because. If anything, they would have talked about how LeBron had an off game and how the Raptors got lucky and and all of this because only certain people. Uh, and social media, like the Kendrick Perkins of the world, uh, you know, are the ones who have been backing the Raptors and even they're the outcast. So I don't know. But you know why? It's know why? because other teams are more popular in the U.S. It's the only reason yeah, why the but, Raptors but are Kendrick really not popular. Kendrick Perkins, that is a man that doesn't care about doing what's cool. Kendrick Perkins just calls it like he sees it. I and agree. That's why I mean, Maybe it's, you know, we're, we're bereft of, you know, that, that prototypical star talent. You know what I mean? Maybe you don't have that marquee superstar. And, but as Perkins has, has, has argued, I thought very well, the difference between Tatum and Siakam, the numbers, the difference in numbers is negligible. And Siakam, uh, well, he maybe doesn't have the finesse, but if you look, it's pretty. Siakam's just as important to us, right? Uh, and he's just a star level talent as Tatum is, and in fact, maybe better because he defends. Well, um, I don't know. I, I, I it's I, American bias. I, I, I hope that you know people start looking at us as a realistic contender. I think it's an absolute fucking joke that you win an NBA championship and you still come back. You know, as the uh, as the Rodney Dangerfield of the NBA. It's, it's, it's <laughs> <a big entertaining. laughs> hey, any last point, guys? <laughs> no, man. I, I mean, I'm I'm excited. Basketball's back. I mean, honestly, the the one worry that I thought was legit was that maybe there would be some sort of. Uh, overshadowing of the Black Lives Matter movement because of basketball. I know players were concerned about it, but l- look at everything they've done. The jersey numbers, the change of the court, the the solidarity and the anthem, uh, Trump tweeting about it again today. To be perfectly honest, I think the NBA has sort of put it back in the forefront and and made more discussions about it. So, uh, yeah, I, and let's, I, uh, I applaud and them let's and I'm excited. That Spencer Hawes in the league right now wearing his uh, custom-made All Lives Matter jersey. Oh my oh. God! Oh, Spencer Hodge. Next week we can talk about Terrence Davis uh, being an anti-vaxer too. <laughs> or and Jonathan Isaac uh, not taking a, uh, a knee and then subsequently tearing his uh, ACL. Saying it was in God's hands. That sucks. <laughs> that sucks though for him. 
Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so Where's much for up? tuning in. We'll be we'll be back next week. It, it, it's a little bit of a challenge sometimes recording uh, through phone. We're we're kind of growing accustomed to being in front of each other. But we do the studio. Uh, we need the studio. Huh? We need the studio, right? We're professionals. We're professionals. We need the studio. It's a little bit of a challenge to do it over the phone sometimes, but we're making it happen for you folks. Again, new name, 95 to infinity. Same uh, same social media handles, right, Graf? Absolutely. Uh, well, actually, we're now 95 to infinity pod. 95 to infinity pod. Catch us on Instagram. Um, we have uh, this guy, Carlos, does a wonderful job of uh, just capturing the essence of the nightly uh, recap of the game. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you, Miku. And thank you, thank Miku. You. He has done a tremendous job of producing this podcast. Guys, you can catch us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, rather. Um, go, Raps, go. It's good to be back, T Dot. So let's go. Yes, Miku, the man.